All right. Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Steve Fredland. And as always, we are joined by our illustrious panel. And tonight we do have Jim Reed, Chris Jones, John Somsky. I said John. John, John Somsky, I'm going to start calling you. Uh, we do have John Somsky in the house, Rob Washam, and Andrew Feist as well is going to be jumping into a, a panelist role here uh, for tonight. Thanks to our official sponsor, Running Aces Racetrack Casino and Hotel, and our other podcast sponsors, Learn Pro Poker and Website Amp. This is episode 174, and tonight we're just going to have a, a panel discussion. Uh, we got some good stuff. Uh, Chris has a good hand for us to discuss. We're just kind of just talk amongst ourselves a little bit of what's going on with Rec Poker, but mostly uh, let's talk strategy. It's been a while since it's just been our our core, our core group just talking strategy. You know, all these guests just kind of get in the way. You know, all these these people who are big names, but they kind of get in the way of just us talking poker. So we're going to do a little bit of that tonight. A couple of quick things for you. Uh, first of all, if you haven't gone to rec.poker slash resources and checked out that page, I really encourage you to do that. Uh, we're continuing to build partnerships with people. Some of them just where we have a relationship where we give you a link to their site. Some of those, we actually have additional discounts. Uh, so I really want to encourage you to check that out. Uh, we can, you get information about Solve for Why out there. Uh, we have a number of folks, a number of you guys out there have signed up with ACR, America's Card Room. Uh, there's some extra bonuses. So you follow our link. You can go choose between two different programs. One of those is a rake back program. That's the one that I'm in. I get 27% rebate on all of my rake. And also you can qualify to get an extra $30 bonus from Rec Poker. So all the details are out there on the resources Hey, so check that out. And also, if you want to supplement that with Poker Tracker 4 and you use our link, you can actually get some custom built HUDs that the crew here is working on. So uh, check that out, man. It's a lot of cool stuff. And if you have ideas on other great partnerships that we haven't thought of, uh, let us know. We'll explore it. We'll see if we can get you all some, some pretty cool discounts. So with that, let's kind of open this thing up and let's talk a little strategy. And maybe just to start this deal, I'd love to pick your guys' brains a little bit on just What's going on? It's been a while since we've just kind of done a check-in of what are we learning? What's happening in your world? Are you playing online? Are you having success? Are there strategy pieces that you're really trying to develop or that you're frustrated by? Or Let's just start there, man, before we dig into this great hand that Chris has for us. What's going on in your, in your poker world, guys? Well, I've been uh, working from home a little more than I'm used to. So I've been playing uh, more online um, than I have in the last little while. So it's been nice to get back into it. I used to play online quite a bit and uh, I've taken a little time off as um, real life takes over, but it's been good to get back into it, uh, working with my HUD again. Um, one thing that I've been working on now very consciously is bet sizing and uh, the sizing of raises. I think that's something that's really developed over the last few years when it comes to how you choose your ranges, when it comes to bet sizing, how you choose your um, bet sizing against certain opponents, that kind of thing. And uh, there's a lot of good resources out there right now that can help you think about that and develop that kind of uh, strategy. So if I had to pick one thing, I'd say bet sizing as part of playing online specifically where all that data is so available. And is that true for, I mean, is that bet sizing pre-flop or is that mostly post-flop stuff? Mostly post-flop. My pre-flop is pretty standardized um, in open rate, open raise sizes and three bet sizes. Um, so it's mostly to do with different spots, post-flop, different board textures, um, that kind of stuff, and, and how you can 
sort of put your opponent in, in different buckets and sort of treat those buckets differently according to uh, um, the spot. That's what I really enjoy about that kind of trying to trying to put my opponent in the toughest spot possible. That's what I like about poker. Hmm. Rob, what are you thinking? I'm I'm pretty much the same. I've been playing some online poker. I I try to, you know, I'm working from home. I play in the nightly social distancing game just because that's so much fun to have yeah. John Sofsky take me out in the third hand. Constantly. Um, <laughs> that's just a lot of fun. But no, then on Sunday I try to I try to do you know two or three tournaments and just uh, multi-table a little bit. And one of the things I've been working on more is the ranging. Um, try to consciously think about um, what range my opponent is on. You know, if a couple people limp. You go, okay, well, chances are they don't have aces, kings, queens, ace, king, that sort of thing. You know, you start thinking, okay, what are they limping? Maybe the baby aces, maybe some suited connector type hands, maybe some small pairs, you know, those are the things you got to look out for. And then uh, that type of, you know, just going through that with each hand to understand, okay, what are they playing? What are they playing? What are they playing? I don't have a HUD. I, I haven't put poker tracker on my machine yet. Plan on doing that soon, but I'm not playing big, you know, big dollar tournaments or anything. So it's just, just kind of, going through and then seeing if I was actually right at the end. If we get to a showdown, hey, was I right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always that's a lot of fun. But bet sizing, Jim mentioned that, and I, I find myself thinking about it at times, and then I lose myself. And all of a sudden, I'll put that bet in on a turn and realize I left myself less than a half a pot <laughs> for the river. I go, what the? And, and you're you a big, that? yeah, you're a big SPR guy. So yeah. yeah why you just, you know, you, you lose, I lose track every now and again of, of where we're at and what the size of the pot is, even though it's right there in front of you online. Right. You Do you think that's because you're, you. is it because of multi-tabling or because you're just sort of clicking through the motions or is there something else I, that's maybe causing that? I think it's a little autopilot maybe, you know, you get, you get going in that little autopilot deal and uh, so you're not paying that close of attention and, all of a sudden, I'm putting the bet in, and right as I click it, I go, oh, shoot. What am I doing? Yeah. I should have just gone all in on the turn instead of, you know, trying to – or just check it off and, check. And, yeah. and have enough for a, a big size bet on the river. So, you know, things like that that you start to autopilot, you have to try to consciously make an effort to keep track of that. Hmm. So that's kind of what I've been working on. How about you, John? Well, I've been, uh, you know, working from home and, uh, luckily I've been able to work from home, but I've actually Mm -hmm. been just as busy with work as, as normal, maybe a little bit more so, but I've managed to play the social distancing series every night and I usually make a pretty good run. seems like Rob always doubles me up and then, (laughs) uh, gets busted out. Uh, anyway, but have not been able to close one of those out, but I'm trying to. I have not uh, yet signed up for ACR, but I think I'm going to be doing that. That's one of the few sites. Back in the day, I had uh, accounts on just about every poker site, you know, in the 2005 time frame that was available here in the U.S. But Doyle's Room, which is now the Yadahe Network, which is ACR, was one of the ones that I never did. So it'll be my chance to give that a shot. Nice. Yeah. I think I jumped on your table as an observer last night when I was playing because I wanted to see who else's 
doing stuff out there. And I think I made the comment, like, who keeps giving Somsky chips? And so Rob was the answer. <laughs> he wasn't yep. there anymore to claim it. <laughs> like, every no, time I go was... to Somsky's table, he's got like 16,000 chips. And, you know, we start with 2,000. Like, how is this happening every single night? I've gotten a few deep runs. I think I've had either two or three second place finishes, but just cannot close it out. And see, I uh, thought I thought you won one last in 2019, didn't you, or no? In 2019, I won. It, I had to keep on going back to that, but I <laughs> those were kind of like practice ones. I hardly <laughs> even count those as real. Not to diminish anyone else who won in 2019. No, that's that's what I told Taylor as well. Those are like practice ones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Since he won the first one, which was definitely the most practiced one, I won the second, which is the second most practiced one. So. There you you've go. got to you got to win in two seconds out of whatever we've played fifteen tournaments or something, and we're supposed to all feel like hyper bad for you, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Come on, Somsky. I mean, it, these, well, you know what? Go ahead. But what what's bad is you know there were on a couple of those tournaments I had like uh, with three or four people left, I had over half the chips. In yeah, play. and you know it's frustrating when you're not able to uh, pull those out. And some of it was just due to bad luck. Some of it was due to bad play, mm. you know. Um, but it's uh, it's still been great to be able to do that. Uh, it's a little challenging. I spend a lot of the time in the living room with my wife. We're watching TV. So I'm trying to be there with her right. at the same time as playing. So don't worry. I am probably equally stubbing snubbing everyone on the tables when they talk to me and I ignore them and I'm ignoring my wife the other half of the time. So everyone can feel equally uh, ignored by me. Yeah. As long as you're ignoring them all, I think that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. Is she just, does she ask you like, well, who's Rob? Cause you keep saying, thank you, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) No, she knows who Rob is. (laughs) I've told her that story. She knows that I get all my chips from Rob and Steve. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you do get plenty from me that's for darn sure <laughs> andrew what's going on in your world man it's been studying and then playing some i played a lot all day yesterday so kind of going back to what we talked about last week with uh, elliot Rowe, i was playing for about three hours and realized i was getting kind of grumpy mm-hmm. didn't know why had already eaten and it's like i i took an extra five minutes before break and actually just completely went out and did one of his uh, meditations from YouTube and came back and was able to grind for another four hours for a min cash in a tournament. But hey, yeah. I, I was bleeding chips all up until then. But I felt like that going back to last week's podcast, I was going, why am I just so grumpy? And I had 100 big blinds and three hands later, I had 60. And I'm like, what is going on? Oh, wait. Yeah, that's right. Mental fatigue. Mm-hmm. That's definitely something that's real. And I, I felt it big time yesterday. And so that kind of was an eye opener for me where I definitely need to, the five minute breaks are not always enough, especially if you're playing more than one or two tables and it's, yeah, it just gets tough. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the things that I'm struggling with that I've just started playing, uh, playing online too, is what do you do with these? So <laughs> you get like, you know, you play these $6, $15, even like $30 tournaments or whatever. And they're long, like 
you know, I'm registration's thinking, five hours. <laughs> so no, it's like, I what know, are you like, doing? I go to the casino, play a $30 tournament and like two hour registration, the thing's over in four and a half hours. Yeah, so exactly. Now I'm come here and like, oh, I'm starting with 2000 chips or whatever, like, or 10,000 chips. Like, okay, this thing will be over quickly. And then the structure is such, oh, it's six minute blinds. Okay, well, this will be over in no time. And it goes forever because of the structure. And so I, I do struggle. Like, I'm not sure what the right thing to do is. Maybe it's just for me, but okay, these things are what, six, eight, 10 hours long for a, for a $6 tournament sometimes. And so I know I struggle with mental fatigue. And so what's the right thing to do? Like, I want to pay a lot of attention early and try to chip up and, you know, get a hold of my table and figure out what people are doing and all that sort of stuff. But then two things happen. Either like, if I'm focused on that, um, I, I kind of get antsy. I want to play more hands because I'm focused on that. And like, I don't want to keep my range. And I notice that I have range drift. Like the more I'm paying attention, the more range drift I have. It seems like it'd be opposite, but that's, that's actually happening. Plus I'm, I know I'm using all this mental energy, but I feel like I need to, cause I want to be in tune in the tournament. And then on the other side where I feel like I honestly play my best, if like I'm doing something else and I'm like just playing my ranges, like, you know, if I end up playing the hand play in, but I'm just doing something else. I'm not even tempted to play my, that King eight crap that I might get tempted to play when I'm paying attention and thinking, Oh, I can all play that guy. I can all play that guy. But then, you know, I feel like I'm sub-optimizing my, my, you know, the first four hours of the tournament, but then I'm fresher if I do make it through. So I don't know what to do about that. You know, and then an Elliot Rowe comes on and says, well, the pros are only playing three, two hour sessions a day or something like, well, or whatever, like they're only playing two hours while I'm in a $6 tournament and I'm being asked to play for 10 straight hours. Like, I don't know what, give me, help me, help me people. (laughs) Well, and that's why I've been having to do that is just, I, I, that was the first time I've been able to play for a while before, but this is the first time where I'm locked in for so long and I just needed a break. And I, I, at least I had some chips to where I could go a couple orbits where it wasn't going to hurt me that hard. You know, I had 50 big blinds still. So, and it was, this was the $6 tournament or whatever, but it it was 12 minute blinds. So I had more time, but I was also in a hyper turbo and those are three (laughs) minute blinds. (laughs) So that goes a little bit faster. So your, your, your solution is sort of, yeah, take, make yourself a longer break. Yeah. And I, and I mean, if you, I, I timed it out where even if yeah. I was back from break a couple minutes late, but I, I got a full 12 to 15 minutes that I could just do nothing mm-hmm. or do I, I did, like I said, I did Elliot Rose, yeah. um, 12 minute YouTube thing. And it, it was, it, it helped me. I just laid on the deck and the dog was out with me. And it's just, my wife comes out, you okay? I'm like, yeah, I'm fine. <laughs> just that, give me a minute. And that's something that you haven't normally done or have you done meditation before? I've done that kind of stuff a little bit before, before a tournament, like where I feel, if I feel like I'm not in the best mindset. Yeah. So I would do that just to calm myself so I can make sure I focus on my ranges. And then afterwards, after I do a 10 minute thing, I would just look and go through my ranges in my head, what I'm going to do. And then, but that's the first time in, in the middle of a session like that, where I hadn't had anything happen where it would make me tilted. It was just the grind that had got me to get to that point. So, but I have done, when we were, I, I told you this last week where I recognized Elliot's voice after a while, yeah. because I had listened to one of his meditations before and I didn't realize, like, didn't put I two and voice? two together. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and all of a sudden, like halfway through, I'm like, shoot, I know why I know his voice, but it, it's the first time that that's happened where. I've had to do it in the middle of a session. So I think I just, I mean, hopefully eventually my stamina being able to do this longer will grow. And otherwise I can just make sure that I have a good stack early and I can take a few breaks here and there. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, I, you know, that, that continues to come up more and more in poker. And then 
in my other world, I, I have a chance to interview people from different walks of life. And a lot of them are talking about the power of meditation and just sort of, you know, being present and, and those sorts of things. So little by little, I still haven't engaged in that world, but more and more people that I, I trust that are talking about, it, I'm like, there might be something to it. And that might be one of the things I need to do to try to be able to do that. Chris, did you have something to share on that? Well, I just, I, in terms of these, because I've just started playing online a little bit more lately. I've been really busy with work because of all the changes yeah. in the world right now. And But I, this weekend, I finally was able to get on to ACR and play a little bit. But um, I'm kind of curious, based on the, the length of this, you know, you have a $6 tournament that has four hours of registration. Um, and then, you know, it's going to go another long stretch even past that point. Um and I see all these people popping in, you know, at the last level when they've got like eight big blinds trying to sort of run up a stack. And then you have these gigantic stacks who've been sitting mm-hmm. there since the beginning. And I'm kind of curious about everyone's approach or thoughts or just because I'm trying to develop my own sort of thought process and approach about when is it too late to enter one of these? Um, and I feel like it's different than live tournaments. Like I feel like I have a really good sense in a live tournament. like you know, I get to a tournament and I know whether a, I'm willing to rebuy or not. And B, I usually do it by sort of the prize pool, the state in the tournament, what I'd be buying in at, what kind of levels of, you know, chips I might have. Um, and my bankroll too, you know, all those kinds of things kind of bubble up, but with online, it feels like it's cheaper, but it feels like it's more like a waste when you do it right at the the end you know like you jump in at a six dollar tournament you have eight big blinds and there's people with 300 big blinds i mean are you i mean you know you're just you're playing bingo at that point so i'm just curious about other people's thoughts about when when they would cut themselves off in terms of entering some of these really long online tournaments yeah they real quick from from my perspective i think it's if i'm playing it's funny maybe the opposite of what you'd think but when i'm playing live i'm like if i'm at the casino and they're still taking buy-ins i'm there i'll buy in like if it's not a big tournament like if it's a 75 dollar tournament and you get like 10 or 15 big blinds i'm like i know it's maybe not the right financial decision but i'm there i want to play i'm just going to sounds like jim <laughs> i mean you know it's, <laughs> yeah. it's just because you know it's the entertainment value in in addition to everything else but yeah, online, I, what I've been trying to do is try to say, I want to enter with at least 25 or 30 big blinds. I know that doesn't sound like much, but at least that gives me something. And there's enough choices out there where I feel like, okay, I don't need to enter that one that only has 10 big blinds. 25 to 30 still gives me a chance. I could actually three bet fold. Uh, that's sort of the, the the parameters that I use. I don't know. I'm curious what other guys. Well, I was playing uh, yesterday. I played a Six dollar. It was a twenty-five thousand guaranteed tur- super turbo or something like that. And that's where they had three thousand, four thousand. I don't know, just a huge yeah. deal. And I, I got it. I lost uh, set over set queens over under aces. Well, you you play and, that garbage. This is what happens I know, when you play, I play that, that garbage. Stupid gar- well, I three bet the queens, and she just called cold called my three bet. Oh man, that okay. <laughs> I hate that. Yeah, you're you're just you're you're good all the time there, right? With an eight exactly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, anyway, I think I think I decided I looked at how much I would get if I rebought at that time, and just because I was frustrated with what had just happened, I said, "Heck with it." I think I had I still had thirty big blinds when I rebought, so I bought back into that tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I looked at how many big blinds am I going to have. 
to continue in that. I'm not going to play bingo. If I want to play bingo, I'll go down to the bingo hall, right? <clears throat> I think you can play online bingo. I'm not sure, but I'm, <laughs> I think there, there you has can play to be <laughs> social distancing to be to, bingo. <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. to be able to play online bingo, and and that's not what I want to do. And right? you have enough options, right? You could say, "Well, I'm just going to go do a sit and go or something right. you know, else." Uh, right. You have options. Right. Yeah. One one thing that's different between online and live tournaments is just the sheer number of entries. Um, yeah. Because the number of entries are higher, it makes late entry a little bit more viable. You know, it, it's like the lottery. At some point in time, when the prize pool gets high, high enough, it is plus EV to actually buy a lottery ticket. Now, you're still not likely to win with it, and you're l the most likely outcome is that every dollar you put in is going to go away. But theoretically, there's like a dollar and two cent return for that dollar lottery ticket. It's the same way in these things. When the, the entries get high enough, it can theoretically be possible to, even, to buy in very late with short stacks. And that's one of the things I know um, there have been a lot of complaints about ACR in particular, in that in order to build the prize pools, they keep the registration open a very long time. The rebuy period is open for a very long time. And that it, it just, it makes the tournament different because if the rebuy period is shorter, then the, the, tournament after the rebuy period is a different tournament than the tournament before the rebuy period ends. It's just different. So you just have to adjust to that. And I don't know exactly where to adjust, but I was going to mention related to your earlier question, a lot of the, um, what I've heard a lot of the tournament grinders do when they're playing tournaments, particularly on Sundays, which is typically the biggest tournament day of the week, um, they'll fire up a ton of tournaments in the morning. And they are not spending a lot of time getting used to those tournaments. They're just on autopilot doing whatever. And variance is going to mean they're going to bunch up, bust out of a bunch of them, and they'll run up stacks in a couple of them. By the time they've run up stacks in a couple of them, they're not playing as many tournaments. And that's when they start to actually mm. focus. So it's kind of like they, they get through and let autopilot get them to be into a favorable hmm. position. And then when, because if you bust out first level or the fifth level or uh, right after the rebuy period ends, it doesn't make any financial difference. There is no value difference in those. However, how far you go once you get into the money can make a huge difference. So that hmm. you want to make sure when you get to that portion of the tournament that you have your ability to put play your best or as best as good as possible and there's basically as far as i know two ways to do that one is to just expand your capacity for concentration so that's where maybe meditation or things to keep you off of tilt or just make you focus for a longer period of time would help or save some of that mental energy until you get to the later stages yeah, that's that's good stuff. And Chris, when I think about your the question about you know how late do you enter, I don't know. <laughs> Clearly, I don't know what the right answer is, but I'll I'll talk anyway. Um, but like I always think about like you know as when everybody starts a tournament, let's say they have twenty thousand chips, 
obviously the, if you look at like a bell curve, a distribution, everybody's at 20,000 chips. And then naturally as the, as the tournament progresses, the bell curve flattens and it, and it moves higher, right? As people are eliminated, whoever left, there's this normal distribution. And what happens on these tournaments like this is, you know, whenever there's a rebuy tournament, you have this blip of people that are kind of at the starting stack number. So you have this, this normal distribution. And so the longer the, the, the registration is open, you get this flatter and flatter distribution curve that's higher and higher and higher. And so like maybe you started with 20,000 and now at the end of registration, the average stack is whatever. You know, if you disregard the people that are just entering, the average stack is like 100,000 and some people have 300,000 and some have a little lower. And so that's sort of the real distribution of, of like who's in the tournament. And then you layer on, oh, 300 people just entered in the last level. And I think what happens, you have this weird distribution of all these people down here that are sort of fighting for the doubles, fighting for the doubles. But I think, I think what can be misleading in that is the, this idea of average stack. And I think this is one of the reasons why we always kind of warn people to not pay so much attention to average stack because you've got in these tournaments, you have so many of the people are just entering. So the average stack might look like 30,000. You say, well, I'm Average stack's 30, I'm coming in for 20. This is, I'm not in such bad shape. Well, the reality is, it's because you got all these, it's just so many massive people. Or the reality is there's tons of people, like you said, with 200,000 plus. And those are the ones that are really vying for the tournament at that point. And, and I think the other thing that I've had to adjust to is that when you have a stack of like uh, 120, 150 sort of thousand, you know, you kind of five to 10x the beginning stack. If let's say it's just 20,000 stack and you have all these people joining in and they're just like jumping in, shoving, yeah. hoping to double. They're doing it so wide that you have to like really think about widening up what a my traditional calling range would be in those situations, especially if it's coming late to me in a position where I can sort of close up the action or get really close to closing up the action. And I've got a hand like, you know, A6 of mm-hmm. hearts, you know, or... Yeah. or you know, even, but you know, even worse than that, I'm, I may be calling in these spots where I never would do that live. Never, ever, ever. And so it just, it raises some different situations. For sure. And I think some of the tournaments that have a longer registration period, like you're talking about, um, the, the real average stacks are going to be deeper at the end of that registration period than if it was a shorter registration period. Um, so your 20 big blinds, if like for me, 20 big blinds is the cutoff. Um, I'm, I'm happy to buy in for a tournament uh, near the end of registration if, I, if I'm going to get at least 20 big blinds. Um, but if, you know, let's say that's for a tournament that had a two-hour registration. If that same tournament had a five-hour registration, my 20 big blinds, even though there's the same number of blinds, I'm just, I'm so much further behind mm-hmm. actually being able to turn them into something relative to the field that I'd be less inclined. Uh, I'd need a bigger stack. Um, and the other thing, the only other thing that I sort of do is on Sundays, the, most of the tournaments I want to play start in the early afternoon. So if I want to conserve some focus, I'll get to the table maybe an hour or 90 minutes before those ones start, and I'll late reg a bunch so I can come in there with 20 or 30 uh, blinds. I'll be out of half of those by the time my real tournament start, and the other half I'll have a decent stack or whatever. And um, by then I've sort of, like John was saying, worked on autopilot on those uh, on those other ones. Because the short stack stuff, what's nice about that is that it's all a lot of pre-flop decisions mostly. And so you can sort of save that mental focus for uh, 
the more important stuff later, post-flop, that kind of thing. So on, so on the major tournament that you want to play, whatever that might be, that one you're starting on time? Typically, I like to because the tournaments that I really want to play, uh, you know, they're like 11 to $20 for me, 7 to $15, something like that. And the players I really want to play against are going to all going to be gone by the time the late mm-hmm. registration yeah. closes. So the people that are going to make the worst mistakes are the ones that, that you want to play against. Um, the ones that last the longest typically are going to be the better players. So if you late reg, you're playing against a tighter field, um, but you've got more focus. You've lost the opportunity to benefit from some of those novice mistakes that, that these guys aren't, these players aren't going to make, but um, for, yeah. So for the ones that like the, like the Sunday storm, for instance, I always want to be there or anything that there's anything that a lot of players are satelliting into. You want to be there at the beginning. Um, in particular, because uh, definitely it's going to be mostly pros by the time registration closes. Good stuff. So, Chris, did you want to actually walk through a hand today? Do you want to yeah, tackle sure. that hand or do you want to save sure. that one? No, let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. It's been a while um, since we've done one of these. Yeah, so. it is. And, um, you know, we've been um, in our month, in member content, we've tar- been talking a lot about um, odds and SPR. And I thought this hand was particularly uh, relevant to that topic. Um, so this is one of the last, uh, major tournaments that took place before uh, all the, uh, coronavirus, uh, quarantine life sort of hit us, but this is the, the rusher's super high roller bowl. Um, and we're down to five players. So we're in the money. Um, the, and we're going to take the place of, uh, playing as Adrian Mateos, um, and so, and I'm going <laughs> to, we're going to bring up some questions about how he plays this. And it's not because he's not light years better than me, but because I actually, I don't understand it fully. Uh, and I <laughs> wanted to talk about it. Um, so we're in the money. Uh, the next place gets paid $800,000. Um, that would be fifth. And then first place gets $3.7 million. Um, and that's, there are five left. Um, it folds to us. We're the chip leader. We have 3.4 million in chips, and I think it's important to note that uh, there's one short stack at the table that has about 20 big blinds, about 640k, and then there's three players sort of jammed in the middle uh, below us in that kind of 1.6 to 1.8 million chip stack. So we have um, a pretty, and the blinds are at 15k, 30k, 30k. So we have well over 100 big blinds. There's a bunch of stacks. There are three stacks in that sort of maybe 50 to 60 big blind range, and there's one at a 20 big blind range. So I think just for sort of like thinking Mm -hmm. about the table dynamics, that's important to note. Um, So we're in the small blind, uh, and we look down at two black queens, queen of spades, queen of clubs, and we open to 65K. Um, The big blind is Timothy Adams, and he has 1.8 million behind. He defends. Um, and the flop comes eight of diamonds, six of diamonds, three of spades. And th- I'll stop there and just, uh, ask, you know, what, what is our play? I think this is pretty standard, but I just, I'll just stop there and say, what's, what's our play here with Queens from the small blind to big blind on a, on a pretty, pretty innocuous flop like that. Eight of diamonds, six of diamonds, three of spades. Yeah. Feels like a 40 to 50 K continuation, bet somewhere in that range, maybe a little bit heftier 60 K. 
Yeah, I think you're you're ahead of a lot of one pair of hands that they're going to continue with. So I I like a lead here. Yeah, and he's going to call with a lot of the draw. Oh yeah, we're we're sorry, small blind. Yeah, I think we lead out. Yeah, I think there's a lot of draws that are going to continue as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's is exactly what I thought. Mateus leads out a, a little bit uh, big. He he leads out for a hundred k. Um, which, you know, may just be uh, his approach blind versus blind. Uh, I think you can get away with a bigger, uh, a bigger bet here. Um, blind dynamics are often ones where, where you can sort of, you know, you can do that kind of thing. But then um, this is where it gets interesting. So Adams raises to 320,000. And this is the spot I want to talk about. So we're now, he's now got 1.4 million or so behind, um, and we have an option here with two black Queens on an eight of diamonds, six of diamonds, three of spades board to, I think flat or raise. I mean, is anyone considering a fold here? No. Yeah. No. Right. Okay. So, um, this is, but I want to talk about the approach here between flatting and raising. Um, this is a spot where because of sort of some SPR implications, because of some of the, the odds, this is a spot where I would almost always be flatting um, with a plan to sort of see how the turn develops um, and likely um, check calling a lot of um, turns um, but possibly giving up on some death cards like uh, five of diamonds, seven of diamonds, or nine of diamonds. Um, so, but what, what, before I tell you what Mateos does, what, uh, what is your approach in this kind of spot? Yeah, I'm with you there, Chris. I'm, I'm flatting. Uh, primarily, it, it's a little bit of pot control, but it's also underrepresenting my hand. I want him to, I want to keep his bluffs in. Uh, you know, I mean, there's this is where you know some of the the wizards. I don't know, it'd be interesting to say, you know, do I want to shove here and get them off of those draws? Uh, my general approach is I want to flatten, keep those draws in, or keep keep his bluffs in his range. Uh, you know, uh, give him an opportunity to fire turn again uh, with the hand that I've underrepresented now by just flatting and then checking turn. So that's kind of my approach. How many chips did the villain start with? Uh, one, yeah, 1.8 million. He's got about 1.4 million behind now. After his raise. After his raise. And what do we have in the pot? Uh, let's see. There's. If we call, there'd be 800. Yeah, if we call, it's 800. Otherwise, there's about 500 right now. Yep. Okay, so it's 500. He's got a point. He's got three. Okay. Yeah, so if you raise, you're going to be raising to. Man, you're going to be raising I mean, to, um, around a million, yeah, 900, over 900,000. And you're never folding then, right? So, yeah, well, for him to call, he's the only the only move he's going to have is to go all in right. or fold. Yeah, so, a, a raise here is I think you're either going to fold or you're going to get 1.4 million in the middle. Right. So. If you raise, you have to be prepared to call his rejam. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you just jam? If, so if you would you would jam in this spot? No, I'm just no. saying. Rather than if you're going to raise, right, the only right. raise is going to be just all in. 
Yeah, I think that's I think that's right. I think be, given the stack sizes, yeah, uh, I think you're you're either flatting this or shoving. Right, because for him to he can't call because he'd have nothing left in his stack. So I think I think I might just call here mm-hmm. if I'm Mateos. John, where you at? Yeah, I know. I I pretty much agree with what Rob said. My first blush if i was going to raise would be to about a million which means given the stack sizes a push makes more sense as your raise size but i think i would my i, I know that 99% of the time i would just end up calling there in that position the only thing that would lead me to believe a little differently is when i do have the big stack i will sometimes play a little bit more aggressively because I want to, my goal is to train the table to fold to me mm-hmm. and to train the table That's that when I make a bet that I am going to follow through. Queens is a perfect hand to do that with. So from a meta game point of view, I could see shoving with this but i think i don't think i do that myself hardly ever there's a because there's that one short stack at the table it makes in this particular spot it makes that shove more attractive because you're just putting more pressure on this guy uh than you would otherwise for the ICM considerations. The only thing the only thing I don't like about calling is that it, if you're not going to lead the turn, then he gets to check back and see all the cards uh, with that one aggressive action on the flop, which is always going to be the case when you're out of position in a spot like this. But, um, you know, I'm not sure that... I'm not sure that loss makes up for the benefit of keeping in his bluffs when he chooses to bluff because mm-hmm. you're definitely crushing that range. What would you think about um, calling with the intent of shoving the turn to any safe turn card? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the tricky part is for me, I don't know. The, you know, we don't pick up any more chips if he folds there. You know, I mean, what else do we gain other than we gave him an opportunity to get there on what we think is a safe card? You know, but what if he has something like, you know, King Six, some sort of weird King Six and a King comes? I mean, there's. You know, Chris called out some of the really scary cards, but there could be some other combinations of cards that are scary. And so I just feel like it's giving him another card to realize more of his hand equity. And then, yeah, I I know a lot of people do that. So I think I'm missing something logically. But I feel like at that point, if I shove here and he folds, I don't pick up any more chips by waiting for the turn and then shoving turn. Well, what you do, though, is you do cut his odds in half. For his draws. Right. Because now you have... The unknown turn card is now known. You knew that it missed the draw, the obvious draws out there. You know, he could be have hit some obscure okay. set. But I mean, that is the reason for doing the delayed raising all in, is because then there are times where they are getting close to the right odds if you do mm. it on the flop, because it's the rule of two and four. Got it. Um, versus doing it on the turn. You're, 
you've cut their odds down in half. Yes, you are giving them a chance to get an out. Uh, and if that comes, then they're going to, um, you're going to probably have to fold and lose the pot. But if th there are some people I know that will almost always call on the flop and almost always fold on the turn. Um, so it seems like this approach has worked against that type of player. I don't know, you know, mm. the situation, if that makes any sense, yeah. but. So let me tell you, cause let me uh, tell you what Mateos does. He does shove. And given that I, I think he's, I mean, you know, my personal take on him is he's one of the top 10 players in the world. I mean, he's, he's so good. Um, but it, it, it felt like a mistake to me, but I'm trying to figure, is this an ICM move? Is this, is this because as John pointed out that, that big stack bully and putting ICM pressure because there's a short stack there that this makes sense. Whereas we wouldn't make this move, um, you know, uh, midway through a tournament, but we might in this spot, or is this, is there some other reason that we might consider this? No, I think that's exactly what it is. An ICM move because that's it. Jim brought it up. Exactly what I was thinking with, you got that other short stack there with 340 K. If you shove on the flop there, that it's, he has to have it or he's gone. I mean, there's there's not there's no other reason he's going to be in there. He's not going to be able to call with the draw, especially with the ICM considerations with how his stack size compared to the small stack at the table. Mm -hmm. So that that in my thought my thought process is why he did it. Big stack mentality, and because you got to put a lot of ICM pressure on that guy. So as as Adams, what should we be calling with in this spot? You got you got your two pairs, you got your sets, and you got your I'd say your your big draws, your monster draws. You know your old nine seven of diamonds, seven five of diamonds, four five of diamonds. Uh, I think those seem to be the ones. I, I mean, it, the the tricky part would be really tough if he has like nines or tens or jacks, right? I mean that you know that's that's the really tough spot, and maybe that's part of the consideration for Mateo. Is I want to get paid by I'm going to get paid by nines or tens or jacks or something like that. Um, I guess, you know, maybe ace queen of diamonds maybe could call with two overs if he if he just sort of flatted that preflop, I guess. Well the ICM considerations though, would 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 somebody call with that though? Right, I don't I mean, know. Just with the flush draw on the two overs? I mean maybe, but yeah, if you had this if you had the open ended straight flush draw like you were talking about, it it's possible. That might be one of the only ones, otherwise two pairs calling your sets, like you said. And maybe that's why he why he did it. I mean, I like your analysis, Chris. It seems it seems a little risky, but if you know that everyone at the table understands the ICM considerations, then it's like there are so few hands that you can call with. Right. Now, does anyone think that queens are an odd choice for this, given that we've decided there's a good spot to be taken there? Like, this seems like to me, almost like too strong a hand to do this with if you're trying to get him to fold. If the goal is that he's going to fold almost everything that's not an extremely valuable hand, um, aren't there some better candidates for this with, like, blockers? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, the part, it's the part that I struggle with, too. Like, I don't, I don't know what the part that I do struggle with is. I want to try to get max value from this, this big hand over pair. 
And I feel like when I shove, I force them to play optimally, right? I mean, what are there any better hands than queens that fold? Are there any worse hands that call? Like, I don't know. Like, it, it feels like I'm just saying, okay, here you go. I'm going to put it all in. And if you have me beat, you're going to, you know, if you have a set, you win. You know, it just, and, and I want to get paid from, you know, the ace eights that are going to continue to fire at this thing or, you know, the pocket nines or, you know, even the nine sevens that don't get there. I want him to continue on the turn. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because I do think the ICM pressure allows me to take down this nice pot here. You know, I take whatever for 350,000 or 400,000 of his chips, you know, and put him down, you know, where he's going to have more and more pressure uh, if I can just win that part right there. But I, I just think a shove just says, okay, here you go. Uh, you know, if you, if you flopped it, you got it. The, the Queens, do they really play any differently than any other hand? I, I mean, like if it, it's tens or nines, um, I mean, a pair of nines here is the same strength as a pair of queens. There's just a few really... more safer turn cards, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I, I mean, realistically, what you're afraid of here is are the draws. Um, I mean, he could have two pair, but what you're really afraid of is the draws. And so maybe, and I'm just speculating, guessing, here maybe Mateos is thinking that the getting the uh 500k that's in the pot right now 100% risk free is better than risking the full 101.8 million to get the entire stack that that's the only thing i can guess Yeah, I mean, I'd love to have have. I'd love to. I'd love to do this move with like an unpaired seven of diamonds or something here, instead that just made it, or like the ace of diamonds or something, that just made it less likely that he had one of those drawing hands, um, and keep those queens in like a pot control part of my range. I don't know. Maybe the maybe the stacks don't really allow that. What is what is Adams raising with? I mean, what are, what are we? If we put ourselves in his shoes, what hands is he actually raising Mateos with? I mean, that's first. That's the first question we need to ask ourselves, right? Because right. all we're saying is, well, should we shove or not? What if, what if he has a draw? What if, well, he raised, right? We we see bet, and then he raised. So, what is he raising with? I think he could range. He, I think he could raise a ton of his range right here. I think he's got such a nice range advantage, right? I think the small blind raises pre, and he defends. With the big blind and an eight six three, that's where I I feel like he could, you know, put her, put him to the test right here. And you know, you're, what you're basically doing is saying, okay, Mateo, so I think you you likely just have two big cards here, and you didn't connect to that flop, so I'm going to put you to the test by raising you. So I mean, he could have he could have a made hand, but he could also just have a ton of like ten nine of of hearts. I mean, I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of hands that you know two overs with some back doors and maybe even less than that if he thinks Mateos is an aggressive player so yeah I just I just feel like this is a great spot as the big blind to actually raise and put the small blind to the test now he just happens to have you know a top of his range sort of hand at least that's my take I don't do you guys think that he's this is going to be more of a value raise out of the big blind I feel like it's a a polarized range that could that could consist of a lot of value and a lot of bluffs I tend to agree I think there's a lot of there's a lot of draws on this board that that could make this play. And I think players, especially at this 
level, I think, are making this kind of play with gut shots. They're making them with um, not all the time, but, you know, are certainly capable of making a move with some kind of backdoor equity. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, but that 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 actually <laughs> makes me even more want to flat this. Right. Um, me too. I want to keep those in the, I want to keep those in there. Right. Um, which is where I'm, I'm struggling with, with the Mateus move here because it does, it, it really, uh, takes away a ton of those sort of potential bluffs and it puts it into a, a camp where I think we can be called by worse, but it's, 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 feels i mean that's a big shove yeah so it feels less likely i mean i feel like we can be in a lot of a lot of trouble when we are called yeah well, and do I, you want to know what happened yeah yeah <laughs> well, just kind of, one more one more thought go ahead one more thought <laughs> this is the danger of having us just do something yeah. like, hey, wait 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 <laughs> go ahead does, does the shove by mateos look like a bluff it could. I mean, that's the thing. He could have ace king of diamonds here. He could have ace queen of diamonds. He could have what, so, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You, you know, as opposed to calling, now you're when you call, your hand gets really strong, right? Your hand right. is really strong when you call that raise. Now you are, you know, maybe this is a, a reverse psychology kind of thing, where he's saying, "Okay, I'm going to go all in." It's going to look like a bluff because <laughs> why would I go all in if I had a if I had a main hand? Mm-hmm. 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 Is that a you know? Is that something he could have been thinking? I don't know. So if he thinks like that, that. Then, he, then he thinks that Adams potentially could call off with nine eight of hearts or some so sort of hand. He's like shoving, that. hoping to be called by because he's he actually looks weaker by shoving. Is he right. thinks he'll get called by 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 worse, right? Hmm. Yeah, that's like levels on levels there. Yeah, that's why that's why we bring Rob Washam in to bring the levels to the podcast. <laughs> and I I don't disagree. I mean I I love that meta game. I just don't know with an ICM consideration like that that it would work in this spot. I, I like the the idea. I just don't know if at the end of the day, like even if Adams is going, he, he might very well be bluffing here. But in this spot with you know whatever probably a two three hundred thousand dollar pay jump and a really short stack at the table he he might just think i he might be one of these smirking sort of things oh you're so full of it but so <laughs> full you know but it's an interesting i i think that's an interesting approach because it he he might play some sort of a diamond draw the same way yeah well we're just trying to figure out why he yeah no i love yeah. it reverse engineering well uh adams does call with king of diamonds, ten of diamonds, uh, and he spikes a king on the river to double <laughs> of up. Of course he does. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> Which is an I interesting. Mean, it's an interesting call too, with king of diamonds, ten oh, of diamonds, two I overs mean, and a flush draw. Two I mean, overs and a flush draw. It's a lot of equity. Good spot to be, but God, in that spot, good yeah, lord. Yeah, no, that's a that's a yeah, that's a. So he did get called by worse. So he, he, yeah, yeah. he thought he, he, it must have felt light, right, to Rob's point. He must have felt like uh, he, he, to be in that ICM spot and to still put the chips in, he must have thought he was further ahead. But, you know, Adam still had – he had like 50% equity, didn't he? He had like 12 outs. 
His 10 wasn't good, but his king... The, the two nine, overs, nine two overs and a flush drive. I guess he had a lot of trouble, baby. He had you nine know, diamonds. put it in the middle. Nine diamonds and three kings. I mean, just based on the hand he had, not yeah. the range for yeah. range. Right. But he ended up with 12 outs. He ended up with close to 50% and getting far better than that in the pot odds. Wow. <laughs> it was a major yeah. hand. It, was, it turned the whole kind of uh, tournament around, but... Uh, it was it was really interesting, and I you know I think I would have played it completely different. So uh, it's yeah. definitely made me think about these kinds of spots a bit more. A little, yeah. Wow, that's a yeah, good remember, to flip their stacks. Go ahead, John. I was just gonna say, yeah, it's a great hand. It's it's one of those when you're reviewing a hand like this, you always want to give those great players the benefit of the doubt and try to gain some insight into what they're thinking. But you also have to remember. Well, you know, even the best players screw up occasionally. So you never know, is this the one in a thousand mistakes <laughs> that they make, or is this genius? Genius, right. They're both at the uh-huh. tail of the distribution, and we don't know. And there's there's so many factors. Like, you don't know at the end of the day to come down to a player versus player. They have a history together. Like, that could that could kind of erode everything else that we're even talking about. Who made the mistake? <laughs> well Mateo he lost all the chips Washam would have folded would have worked against Washam <laughs> and me man no I don't know I mean I don't Is think there any, a mistake I, yeah, I don't maybe know. Adams maybe Adams made the mistake by calling I mean he called and he was behind yep I mean yep. yeah he had a lot of equity because of but he didn't know that what if he was against aces right yep did he ben, hit the king ben. on the turn or the river? What did you say? Where did he hit the king? River. So, I mean, to, just to, not that this is a very, uh, you know, ring result oriented, but to John's point about what if he just flats and then shoves turn, that that might have worked in this case, right? Wind him the pot anyway. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember what the turn was, but it was innocuous. So, Clearly yeah, not a diamond, I think, yeah. I think that would have, uh, that, that could have actually made a big difference if, if the, the call and then shove. So no, John was the only one that had the right answer. I was just going to say, does that mean we have to say John was right? Or can we just say like, yes, that's being result oriented. Let's just ship I, them. The I think we can just say that even, you know, a broken clock is right twice a day. Wait, where's that mute button? <laughs> there it is. <laughs> yeah, sure. The one time you remember to unmute. <laughs> oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's very interesting. Those are, but those are the big hands, right? Those are like, is there a right answer? Is there not a right answer? Sometimes like Jonathan Little used to always say, well, it's, it's not like a right or wrong answer. It's just a close decision, you know? And so maybe that's what it is. Like maybe there, there probably is, you know, the gurus will say there is a right answer, but it seems like whatever it is, it's all probably relatively pretty close. But what can we been. learn about that? So when the, when the decisions aren't as close, we don't make the mistake on those things. It could have been that Mateos was thinking to himself, well, if I call and am I ever folding? So in other words, if I just call, why would I just call if I'm never folding, mm-hmm. no matter what card shows up? And that would be my perspective. I would say, you know, if I if I underrepresent to the point where I just call, I probably am not folding most turns or most right. rivers. But what it does is it keeps the bluffs in. That's the reason I like it is because if he's got a polarized, if he's got a, you know, if he's raising my flop bet for either value or as a bluff, I don't want to split that polarization and only keep his value hands in. I want to keep them both in. So when I check turn, he can continue. I give him, Hey, yep. Yep. I'm still weak. You go ahead and bet. Um, But yeah, but you're right. I I think, I think you have to be more prone to calling 
turn in river once you've just called flop. I think you've underrepresented mm-hmm. your hand so well that you're kind of saying I'm never going to fold. So then the question is, okay, if I'm never going to fold, do I, do I check for value then? Do I take that path and risk that he's going to hit his hand? Or do I shove here and just hope he doesn't have it? That's the two different paths. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, <laughs> good stuff, Jonesy. How do you find these hands? Like you're a genius. Do you just watch enough that you just pick out a hand, or did you like? I don't know. Sometimes one? I just sit down and I watch. You know, like this one is a good one to watch. It was such a good table. It had Mateos, Adams, Chidwick. Um, who, there was some other killer. I mean, it was just like stacked um, table of killers. So they're always going to have, they're, they're going to play well and have good hands, you know? Yeah. It won't take long to find a good one, I right, suppose. Right. Right. Well, anything else guys from a strategy perspective or any other insights y'all want to share on that hand or other stuff? All right. Well, why don't we, why don't we wrap up there, John, do you want to kind of give us an update on what's happening with our home games? And then Chris will turn it over to you for the content stuff. Yeah, we uh, had our, um, first no limit hold'em home game of the month on April first. It was not an April Fool's joke. <laughs> um, Fortune NY Jamel Cuevas won uh, the uh, that event. That's and then, my of course, buddy. We, there you go. That's yeah, yeah. Jamel. It must have been April Fool's if Jamel takes it down. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, April Fool's. You don't actually yeah. doesn't count. No so, pin. There you go. No pin. Sorry, Jamel. No, oh, that's no. so cruel. Get that man his pin. <laughs> You're getting a pin. Oh yeah. Uh, and then our mixed game is, this month is going to be limit hold'em. That's on April eighth. And of course, we have our social distancing series going on. Winners since last week is Red Devil MN. That's Guar- Gorov. Gorov Aurora. Uh, two by two four man. Al Anderson won on the 31st. String Ben, Troy Grafton team, won on April 2nd. And then we had a back to back winner, yeah. Power Cookies, who's the only name I have is the first name of Dan. So you got to let us know. He, he has emailed what, me. He has emailed me, but he still hasn't disclosed his last name yet. So okay, I, I don't know yet, but we are in communication. So we're good. Anyway, there. He, he won both the third and the fourth. So impressive back to back. And then uh, last night, Graphic 16, who I also only have a first name of Roger, uh, won that tournament as well. And I think so, he's from like Maine, but that's the only other information I have on Roger. So graphic 16, let us know. Yep. Thanks, John, for all the work on that stuff. It's a blast. <laughs> it is. What do you say, Chris? Oops, just sorry, I muted. He um, did. I did Somsky it. Uh, so uh, April member content, um, we kind of mentioned this earlier when we were talking about the hand, but uh we're we're gearing up to talk about odds, uh, stack to pot ratio, and bet sizing. That'll be our monthly content for April. Um, seminars coming soon, and um, we'll have a member Q and A at the end of the month. Um, and then we're starting to introduce these study sessions uh, with some premium content. And I'm going to turn it back to you, Steve, to talk about uh, talk about these as sort of our, some new member content. That we're yeah. And, and Andrew's going to help leading these things too. So Andrew, if you feel to jump, feel free to jump in, but uh, this is one of the things we're super excited about. So we create these membership contents that Chris leads and they're just phenomenal. If you haven't participated in those, you should, they're like 
three to four hour membership seminars every month and they're crazy good. And we're going to start supplementing those with some of the content from our learning partners. So we have partnerships with all kinds of phenomenal places, Learn Pro Poker, Solve Why, Red Chip Poker, all of these things. And uh, they've given us permission to use up to 15 minutes of their content every month for our members. So we're going to start creating these, these seminars, these additional, what we're calling study sessions, basically. Andrew's going to be leading these. And so like in April, April 15th, if you're a member, we'll give you a, a link. You can join us. You can interact with us. Otherwise, we'll record it, give it to you. But uh, we're going to be showing content from three of these providers and eventually we'll scale this up so it's more and more of these providers every month. And then we'll be doing a walkthrough of that tool. So you can kind of see like, if you ever thought, oh, maybe I should check out Learn Pro Poker or whatever it is, uh, Andrew will be leading a walkthrough of that. So you can actually be an interactive Q&A and say, oh, hey, what's over there? What's behind that curtain? What's over there? And uh, it'll be just phenomenal from a content perspective, a discussion perspective, a tool perspective. Uh, it's all just super awesome. And, and Andrew, what are the, which of the three are we planning on showing content for in April? Uh, we are doing uh, Learn Pro Poker. We are also doing Solve for Why. And we are also doing uh, coacher po co <laughs> PokerCoaching.com. <laughs> so those are the three that we're going to be doing. And uh, we got a lot of good stuff coming this, uh, on the 15th, you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and that, that's pretty sweet. Like, in case you don't know who these are, so like Ryan LaPlante. Uh, Matt Berkey stuff and Jonathan Little. Uh, this is their premium content that if you're a member with us for 10 bucks a month, you get access to what we're going to be curating kind of the best of uh, and sharing with you guys. And Andrew's uh, going to be phenomenal at leading that stuff. So check that out. A couple of more things I just wanted to really share quick. Um, we do have a partnership with Red Chip Poker and we've, we've been working with them on how do we add value to uh, all, of, all of Rec Poker Nation. So this is not just a membership thing. But if you want to check out that core thing that they do, it's this core is kind of their, their online training thing at Red Chip Poker. You can go to redchippoker.com slash recpoker, use the code recpoker, R-E-C-P-O-K-E-R, -E -E and you get one free week of core. So that gives you an opportunity to, to check that out, kind of dig in to that deal. So that's a special offer uh, for anybody who, who uses the rec poker code. Uh, and also, uh, Andrew, do you want to chat, chat about this thing, the, the Learn Pro Poker deal? Do you have that in front of you or do you want me to take that uh, I do, yes. And so they're actually running a promotion for this week, uh, which will be on the resources uh, page of the RecPoker.Poker. Rec uh, so this, uh, they have a competition going on for a 10K main event seat. Uh, and so they, there's a lot of details on there that we can get into uh, probably next week or, or not next week. Sorry, it's going to end this week. But they, what's going to happen is they're actually having a promo. So they're doing, uh, they're, they're having a $30 a month for their uh, membership content and also $305 annually. So that's, that's discounted off of what their $40 a month usually is. So they're running that until the end of this week. Uh, just for their 10K main event uh, Vegas competition. So it's a pretty good deal. Yeah, and so like like Andrew mentioned, rec.poker slash resources. We have all of our stuff out there. These links are right there. So you don't need to like remember what all the fancy links are. If you say, man, learn pro poker for 30 bucks a month, that's amazing. And it is, like the content is crazy. And we'll look at that on the 15th. If you want to sign up now, like Andrew said, until the end of the week. So it ends Sunday, April 12th at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. So we get a couple extra hours there, but check that out. Great value. I know a lot of you guys sign up for the free membership. Uh, you know, he had that 10 video package that you could get for free. Um, maybe this is the time, if you loved that, maybe this is the time to actually uh, go ahead and get that membership. So check that out. 
uh, as well. But as always, just go to rec.poker, all kinds of stuff out there. Sign up for the newsletter. Uh, you know, thanks. Thanks to the panel, man, Jim, Chris, Rob, John, Andrew. This is so much fun. This is crazy that, that, uh, I don't know. I, I would do this if we didn't have any audience at all. I just love uh, talking poker. Chris, thanks for bringing that hand. That's, that's phenomenal. Uh, next week, uh, right now it's kind of TBD. We're going to plan on doing our own discussion. We'll see if, uh, see if a guest emerges out of there, uh, but we'll plan around uh, some just some great content again for next week. Uh, so with that, uh, I would say just have a great week on and off the felt, everybody. Thanks. <laughs>